0: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Today, two stories from Ambrose Bierce, beginning with... Psychological Shipwreck. In the summer of 1874, I was in Liverpool, whither I had gone on business for the mercantile house of Bronson and Jarrett, New York. I am William Jarrett, my partner was Zenas Bronson. The firm failed last year and unable to endure the fall from affluence to poverty, he died. Having finished my business, and feeling the lassitude and exhaustion incident to its dispatch, I felt that a protracted sea voyage would be both agreeable and beneficial. So instead of embarking for my return on one of the many fine passenger steamers, I booked for New York on the sailing vessel Morrow, upon which I had shipped a large and valuable invoice of the goods I had bought. The Morrow was an English ship, with little accommodation for passengers, of whom there were only myself, a young woman and her servant, who was a middle-aged woman. I thought it singular that a traveling English girl should be so attended, but she afterward explained to me that the woman had been left with her family by a man and his wife from South Carolina, both of whom had died on the same day at the house of the young lady's father in Devonshire, a circumstance in itself sufficiently uncommon to remain rather distinctly in my memory." "'even had it not afterward transpired in conversation with the young lady "'that the name of the man was William Jarrett, the same as my own. "'I knew that a branch of my family had settled in South Carolina, "'but of them and their history, I was ignorant. "'The morrow sailed from the mouth of the Mersey on the 15th of June, "'and for several weeks we had fair breezes and unclouded skies. "'The skipper, an admirable seaman but nothing more, "'favored us with very little of his society.' except at his table, and the young woman, Miss Jeanette Harford, and I, became very well acquainted. We were, in truth, nearly always together, and being of an introspective turn of mind, I often endeavored to analyze and define the novel feeling with which she inspired me, a secret, subtle, but powerful attraction which constantly impelled me to seek her, but the attempt was hopeless. I could only be sure that at least it was not love— "'Having assured myself of this, and being certain that she was quite as wholehearted, "'I ventured one evening—I remember it was on the third of July—as we sat on the deck "'to ask her, laughingly, if she could assist me to resolve my psychological doubt. "'For a moment she was silent, with averted face, and I began to fear I had been extremely "'rude or indelicate. "'Then she fixed her eyes gravely on my own.' In an instant my mind was dominated by as strange a fancy as ever entered human consciousness. It seemed as if she were looking at me, not with, but through, those eyes, from an immeasurable distance behind them, and that a number of other persons, men, women, and children, upon whose faces I caught strangely familiar evanescent expressions, clustered about her, struggling with gentle eagerness to look at me through the same orbs. Ship! Ocean, sky, all had vanished. I was conscious of nothing but the figures in this extraordinary and fantastic scene. Then all at once darkness fell upon me, and anon, from out of it, as to one who grows accustomed by degrees to a dimmer light, my former surroundings of deck and mast and cordage slowly resolved themselves. Miss Harford had closed her eyes and was leaning back in her chair, apparently asleep, the book she had been reading open in her lap. "'Impelled by surely I cannot say what motive, "'I glanced at the top of the page. "'It was a copy of that rare and curious work, Deniker's Meditations, "'and the lady's index finger rested on this passage. "'To sundry it is given to be drawn away, "'and to be apart from the body for a season. "'For, as concerning rills, "'which would flow across each other, "'the weaker is borne along by the stronger. "'So there be certain of kin whose paths intersecting, "'their souls do bear company.' And while their bodies go four appointed ways, unknowing. Miss Harford arose, shuddering. The sun had sunk below the horizon, but it was not cold. There was not a breath of wind. There were no clouds in the sky. Yet not a star was visible. A hurried tramping sounded on the deck. The captain, someone from below, joined the first officer, who stood looking at the barometer. Good God, I heard him exclaim. An hour later the form of Jeanette Harford, invisible in the darkness and spray, was torn from my grasp by the cruel vortex of the sinking ship, and I fainted in the cordage of the floating mast to which I had lashed myself. It was by lamplight that I awoke. I lay in a berth amid the familiar surroundings of the stateroom of a steamer. On a couch opposite sat a man half undressed for bed, reading a book. I recognized the face of my friend Gordon Doyle, "'whom I had met in Liverpool on the day of my embarkation, "'when he was himself about to sail on the steamer City of Prague, "'on which he had urged me to accompany him. "'After some moments I now spoke his name. "'He simply said, "'Well,' and turned a leaf in his book "'without removing his eyes from the page. "'Doyle,' I repeated, "'did they save her?' "'He now deigned to look at me and smiled as if amused. "'He evidently thought me but half awake.' "'Her? "'Whom do you mean?' Janet Harford.' His amusement turned to amazement. He stared at me fixedly, saying nothing. "'You will tell me after a while,' I continued. "'I suppose you will tell me after a while?' A moment later I asked, "'What ship is this?' Doyle stared again. "'The steamer, city of Prague, "'bound from Liverpool to New York, three weeks out with a broken shaft. "'Principal passenger,' "'Mr. Gordon Doyle. "'It ditto, lunatic, Mr. William Jarrett. "'These two distinguished travelers embarked together, "'but they were about to part, "'it being the resolute intention of the former "'to pitch the latter overboard.' "'I sat bolt upright. "'Do you mean to say that I've been for three weeks "'a passenger on this steamer?' "'Yes, pretty nearly. "'This is the third of July.' "'Have I been ill?' "'Right as a rivet all the time.' punctual at your meals my god Doyle there is some mystery here do have the goodness to be serious was I not rescued from the wreck of the ship Morrow Doyle changed color and approaching me laid his fingers on my wrist a moment later what do you know of Jeanette Harford he asked very calmly first tell me what you know of her "'Mr. Doyle gazed at me for some moments "'as if thinking what to do, "'then seated himself again on the couch, said, "'Why should I not? "'I am engaged to marry Jeanette Harford, "'whom I met a year ago in London. "'Her family, one of the wealthiest in Devonshire, "'cut up rough about it, and we eloped, "'are eloping, rather, "'for on the day that you and I walked to the landing stage "'to go aboard this steamer, "'she and her faithful servant, passed us, "'driving to the ship Morrow.' she would not consent to go in the same vessel with me, and that it had been deemed best that she take a sailing vessel in order to avoid observation and lessen the risk of detection. I am now alarmed lest this cursed breaking of our machinery may detain us so long that the morrow will get to New York before us, and the poor girl will not know where to go. I lay still in my berth, so still I hardly breathe. But the subject was evidently not displeasing to Doyle, "'and after a short pause he resumed. "'By the way, she is only an adopted daughter of the Harfords. "'Her mother was killed at their place "'by being thrown from a horse while hunting, "'and her father, mad with grief, "'made away with himself the same day. "'No one ever claimed the child, "'and after a reasonable time they adopted her. "'She has grown up in the belief that she is their daughter. "'Doyle, what book are you reading?' "'Oh, it's called Deniker's Meditations.' It's a rum lot. Janet gave it to me. She happened to have two copies. You want to see it? He tossed me the volume, which opened as it fell. On one of the exposed pages was a marked passage. To sundry it is given to be drawn away, and to be apart from the body for a season. For, as concerning rills which would flow across each other, the weaker is borne along by the stronger. So there be the certain of kin whose paths intersecting. THEIR SOULS DO BEAR COMPANY, THE WHILE THEIR BODIES GO FOUR POINTED WAYS, UNKNOWING. SHE HAD, SHE HAS, A SINGULAR TASTE IN READING, I MANAGED TO SAY, MASTERING MY AGITATION. YES, AND NOW PERHAPS YOU WILL HAVE THE KINDNESS TO EXPLAIN HOW YOU KNEW HER NAME AND THAT OF THE SHIP SHE SAILED IN. YOU TALKED OF HER IN YOUR SLEEP, I SAID. A week later, we were towed into the port of New York. But the morrow was never heard from. We'll return with our second Ambrose Beer story right after these sponsor messages. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. And now our story. And now our second story, Three and One are One, by Ambrose Beers. In the year 1861, Bar Lasseter, a young man of 22, lived with his parents and an elder sister near Carthage, Tennessee. The family were in somewhat humble circumstances, subsisting by cultivation of a small and not very fertile plantation. Owning no slaves, they were not rated among the best people of their neighborhood, but they were honest persons of good education, fairly well mannered, and as respectable as any family could be, if uncredentialed by personal dominion over the sons and daughters of Ham. The elder Lassiter had that severity of manner that so frequently affirms an uncompromising devotion to duty, and conceals a warm and affectionate disposition. He was of the iron of which martyrs are made, but in the heart of the Matrix had lurked a nobler metal, "'fusible at a milder heat, "'yet never colouring nor softening the hard exterior. "'By both heredity and environment, "'something of the man's inflexible character "'had touched the other members of the family. "'The Lassiter home, though not devoid of domestic affection, "'was a veritable citadel of duty, "'and duty, ah, duty, is as cruel as death. "'When the war came on, it found in the family, "'as in so many others in that state, "'a divided sentiment.' The young man was loyal to the Union, the others savagely hostile. This unhappy division begot an insupportable domestic bitterness, and when the offending son and brother left home with the avowed purpose of joining the Federal Army, not a hand was laid in his, not a word of farewell was spoken, not a good wish followed him out into the world, whither he went with such spirit as he might, whatever fate awaited him. Making his way to Nashville... Already occupied by the army of General Buell, he enlisted in the first organization that he found, a Kentucky Regiment of Cavalry, and in due time passed through all the stages of military evolution from raw recruit to experienced trooper. A right good trooper he was, too, although in his oral narrative, from which this tale is made, there was no mention of that. The fact was learned from his surviving comrades. For Barr Lasseter has answered, "'Here!' to the sergeant whose name is Death. Two years after he had joined it, his regiment passed through the region whence he had come. The country thereabout had suffered severely from the ravages of war, having been occupied alternately and simultaneously by the belligerent forces, and a sanguinary struggle had occurred in the immediate vicinity of the Lassiter homestead. But of this the young trooper was not aware. Finding himself in camp near his home, HE FELT A NATURAL LONGING TO SEE HIS PARENTS AND SISTER, HOPING THAT IN THEM, AS IN HIM, THE UNNATURAL ANIMOSITIES OF THE PERIOD HAD BEEN SOFTENED BY TIME AND SEPARATION. OBTAINING A LEAVE OF ABSENCE, HE set FOOT IN THE LATE SUMMER AFTERNOON, AND SOON AFTER THE RISING OF THE FULL MOON, WAS WALKING UP THE GRAVEL PATH LEADING TO THE DWELLING IN WHICH HE HAD BEEN BORN. SOLDIERS IN WAR age RAPIDLY, AND IN YOUTH TWO YEARS are A LONG TIME, Barr Lassiter felt himself an old man, and had almost expected to find the place in ruin and in desolation. Nothing, apparently, was changed. At the sight of each dear and familiar object, he was profoundly affected. His heart beat audibly. His emotion nearly suffocated him. An ache was in his throat. Unconsciously he quickened his pace until he almost ran, his long shadow making grotesque efforts to keep its place beside him. The house was unlighted, the door open. As he approached and paused to recover control of himself, his father came out and stood bareheaded in the moonlight. Father! cried the young man, springing forward with outstretched hand. Father! The elder man looked him sternly in the face, stood a moment motionless, and without a word withdrew into the house. Bitterly disappointed, humiliated, inexpressibly hurt, and altogether unnerved, the soldier dropped upon a rustic seat in deep dejection, supporting his head upon his trembling hand. But he would not have it so. He was too good a soldier to accept repulse as defeat. He rose and entered the house, passing directly to the sitting-room. It was dimly lighted by an uncurtained east window. On a low stool by the hearthside, the only article of furniture in the place, sat his mother... "'staring into a fireplace strewn with blackened embers and cold ashes. "'He spoke to her, tenderly, interrogatively, and with hesitation, "'but she neither answered nor moved, nor seemed in any way surprised. "'True, there had been time for her husband to apprise her of their guilty son's return. "'He moved nearer and was about to lay his hand upon her arm "'when his sister entered from an adjoining room, looked him full in the face.' "'passed him without a sign of recognition, "'and left the room by a door that was partly behind him. "'He had turned his head to watch her, "'but when she was gone his eyes again sought his mother. "'She, too, had left the place. "'Bar Lassiter strode to the door by which he had entered. "'The moonlight on the lawn was tremulous, "'as if the sward were a rippling sea. "'The trees and their black shadows shook as in a breeze. "'Blended with its borders,' the gravel walk seemed unsteady and insecure to step on. This young soldier knew the optical illusions produced by tears. He felt them on his cheek and saw them sparkle on the breast of his trooper's jacket. He left the house and made his way back to camp. The next day, with no very definite intention, with no dominant feeling that he could rightly have named, he again sought the spot. Within a half a mile of it, he met Bushrod Albro, "'a former playfellow and schoolmate "'who greeted him warmly. "'I am going to visit my home,' "'said the soldier. "'The other looked at him rather sharply, "'but said nothing. "'I know,' continued Lassiter, "'that my folks have not changed, but—' "'There have been changes,' "'Albro interrupted. "'Everything changes. "'I'll go with you if you don't mind. "'We can talk as we go.' "'But Albro did not talk.' Instead of a house, they found only fire-blackened foundations of stone, enclosing an area of compact ashes pitted by rains. Lassiter's astonishment was extreme. I could not find the right way to tell you," said Albro. "In the fight a year ago, your house was burned by a federal shell. And my family? Where are they? In heaven, I hope. All were killed by the shell. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This is your host, John Hagedorn. We always appreciate reviews, so if you have a moment, please do send us a review. And we have a few recent ones for you. The first one, Love This, 5 Stars, 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. I usually listen to science fiction podcast stories and remember that I used to listen to and love short stories. So my search brought me right to this podcast. Then I remembered that I had listened to another 1001 podcast from John Hagedorn, so I got this, and I'm really happy with the stories. One problem. I listen to the podcasts at night before falling asleep. But for me, John's voice just hits me right in the voice-to-fall-asleep-to zone. So I find I usually fall asleep about ten minutes into a story, and every time I wake up, I have to reset the clock back to the last place I remember. Usually about ten minutes from when I last remember but I absolutely have to finish it. I then am so into this story that a 30-minute story takes about an hour to listen to. To contrast, most other podcasts I listen to have me still wide awake after an hour. So for me, this podcast is so right for me on several aspects. Great stories that interest me with a great variety of authors and types of stories, like Jack London and Ray Bradbury, and reading that actually relaxes me at night and interests me. Also, his favorite son, Britbox, are all my favorites. Every one of them. Down from Yuli, Apple Podcast, U.S. Thank you, Yuli. Great review. Appreciate it. And this one, John's Podcast Review, 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. Five stars. I love this podcast. John is great. I'm totally in love with this podcast, and the music is beautiful. Thank you. That one from Critter Chatter, Apple Podcast, U.S. Thank you, Critter Chatter. Reviews help new listeners to find us and to give us a chance. As you already know, we bring new stories every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and Sunday at noon Eastern Time. Until next time, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.